This is Questionable History with two snarky sisters. I'm Amy. And I'm Beth. This is a podcast about books, specifically historical romances. We dive deep into characters and plot to discuss what works well and what is just, well, questionable. Spoilers are coming, so if you want to read the book first, pause now and come back when you're ready. We read the books so you don't have to. Let's get started. Today we're going to talk about Wild in Love, book one in the wilds of Lindo Castle by Eloisa James. It was published in October of 2017. It has a ratings on Goodreads of 3.81 out of 5 stars with over 7,200 ratings. Okay, the synopsis of this book is from uh, the Amazon Kindle. Lord Alaric Wilde, son of the Duke of Lindo, is the most celebrated man in England, revered for his dangerous adventures and rakish good looks. Arriving home from years abroad, he has no idea of his own celebrity until his boat is met by mobs of screaming ladies. Alaric escapes to his father's castle, but just as he grasps that he's not only famous but notorious, he encounters the very private, very witty Miss Willa Finch. Willa presents the facade of a serene young lady to the world. Her love of books and body jokes is purely for the delight of her intimate friends. She wants nothing to do with the man whose private life is splashed over every newspaper. Alaric has never met a woman he wanted for his own, until he meets Willa. He's never lost a battle. But a spirited woman like Willa isn't going to make it easy. I think one of my favorite things about this book is how she took... A situation that I'm very, well, sorry, not personally familiar with, but the idea of the fanatic, the fan, hero worship of someone popular, but set in a historical setting. I don't know that it it was cool to me, this idea. I mean, he was almost like a pop star because there were prints of him. So like posters all over people's walls. And I think she did it intentionally like a tongue in cheek like a Justin Bieber vibe (laughs) to me type of obsession. Like some of these women were seriously obsessed. They talk about him wanting them wanting mementos from his childhood home. And so to me, it was like that. Okay. We're in Georgian England, but this is pretty much, you know, the Beatles kind of fan fair. Like people were obsessed with him. and, And I thought that was really cool. I thought it was a lot of fun too. It took me a minute to realize quite the extent that his fame was supposed to be. And I totally bought people trying to take trinkets of flowers or bricks from the house. You know, that sort of thing. Wait, 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 though. How did they even get bricks from the house? How poorly constructed is this house? <laughs> right? He got it on a budget. I have no idea. But what was funny to me about that, that, that really made me stop, and I made a note that said, really, fangirling with posters on the walls? It was that one aspect. They keep talking about hanging on the walls. And at some point they reference, oh, tucking this print inside a Bible or some other book under the pillow. Like, I totally would buy that. It was something about the walls. I just kept thinking, how? (laughs) Tape wasn't really a thing. There was some glues and plasters and, like, nails and stuff. And so I just keep imagining (laughs) all these holes in the wall. and Because they talk about these fancy houses with, like wood paneling and silk silk on the the walls walls, and whatever. And it just made me chuckle to imagine like, seriously? (laughs) Uh, So I I found that hard to believe. And then I swear the size and scale of these prints kept changing because there's a plot point at some point where fans of this, um, this Lord Wilde is what he's referred to because that's not officially his name, but it's almost like uh, a fake name, give a stage name of sorts, even though he's not a performer on the stage. But someone writes a play about him, and it's called what Wild in Love or Lord Wild in Love or something, right? And so in that play, he's called Lord Wild the whole time. Anyway, the the big fans of it have all bought these little silver lockets to represent how much they love him or whatever, and they talk about cutting out his face and putting it in a locket, right, from one of these posters. What do they call them? They call them the prints. The prints. I keep imagining a poster or a larger thing on the wall, and it's totally confusing me. Do they all have little small ones? Because how big is this locket if you can cut out the oval of his face and fit it in a locket and yet also hang it on the wall? There was something like that where I was just a little bit confused, and it felt like there was no consistency in in that. I thought prints were a little bit smaller, like five by seven little booklet things that they used to, I guess is what I imagine, that they were... 
because they reference sometimes in other books they reference prince being in like prince weren't new to this book i'd read it in other books like uh that would be you know in shop windows and the idea was um they would they they almost reminded me of like political cartoons and they weren't they're not always political but you know at the time it would be it's an exaggerated picture of uh whatever person they're trying to represent um so i always imagine them kind of smaller like more of a booklet thing um but that would take a lot to paper a wall so i'm not sure they don't really they're not really clear on what the they size are. of them and then also they do reference that the prints don't always look super much like him right yeah they're kind of vaguely like him at times. But when his ship lands and he gets off the boat, he's he just borrows the captain's hat and somehow that's incognito enough to slip past everyone and no one recognizes him on the dock. So again, it was, it was just kind of funny, like this hero worship of him and yet they seem to not actually know what he looks like practically. They don't because uh, he became famous while he was away. So that's the people true. knew him as an author. He'd been writing these... Um, adventure, not a, not stories, sorry. So he was writing books about his actual experiences. So they he were like non-fiction accounts. Yeah, they were non-fiction uh, accounts. He wrote them just to, you know, maybe others want to know what it's like in Africa or this other country I visited. Really what made him the household name and gave him the fanatics was the play because it was a fictionalized version um, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't true. It didn't, hadn't actually happened. He realizes all this when he gets home. That's where people became fanatic about it. I I honestly believe that most of the women who were obsessed with him never read his books. Everything they're taking, they're taking from the play. And then I think that where the prints come from is they're like, oh, this person is now popular from this play. He also wrote these books. Let's make pictures or portraits, cartoonish type drawings of what he looks like. So I could believe that at the time, because there wasn't photographs, there wasn't, it's not like people could reference him they knew him by name but they i could see how in a cartoonish type drawing you wouldn't be able to tell someone if like the hat's low even though they knew he was coming on the boat though so you think they would have been looking for yeah so like how many i mean he's a son of a duke right so granted he could have lived rough and tumble in his travels but like how many young men walking off that would have any bearing or clothing or anything that might even exactly that might make you think he's probably a duke's son you know Yeah. well they do give the impression that these fans are kind of dum-dums so (laughs) they just don't pay attention (laughs) to details they do so yeah you do have to kind of take it you have to be able to step out of the realistic part of it i do think there's some fantasy to the book of her thinking what would it be like to have been a someone that people hero worshipped back in the day and so i think she is taking some license in saying oh we put posters of movie stars and pop stars on our wall they do these things called prints back in the day wouldn't it be funny like that's why i'm saying i think it really is tongue-in-cheek i think even the author is like let's let's suspend reality for a minute and imagine a world where there's someone this popular and these things called prints exist wouldn't it be funny if girls back then put them up on the wall like we did with posters when we were younger? So there was a, a line that really made me chuckle. Basically, when Alaric comes into to the family home, they're having a, a party, a, a house party, essentially, because his older brother, North, is engaged to be married. So they're having like a betrothal ball and party and, and whatnot. So a lot of the women are sitting around having their tea when Alaric enters, enters the room. And as he comes in, a lot of the young women, like, excitedly turn to see him and spill their tea, it says. And it says, Willa could hardly blame them. Lord Wilde's image smoldered from bedchamber walls all over the country. And I just burst out laughing because it made me think of that Disney movie Tangled, where the main character practices a smolder. And so I chuckled a few times in this book, imagining this uh, Alaric guy doing some form of a smolder. Yeah. I'm imagining, like, Justin Bieber hair. Something, right? Because especially, like you said, they're not actual photographs. They're somebody's interpretation with artistic license. Right. Yeah, I really liked Willa, character after my own heart, with a lot of her snarky comments. There's a part where she hears the title of his books, and they're, you know, they're a play on his name, because his name is Wild with an E at the end, but he talks about being Wild Latitudes and stuff like that. And her response is, she says in her head, the only rational response was a snort. 
<laughs> I just think that's hilarious because I find that true. And, you know, like you were probably thinking about the prince. It's like the only rational response is a snort to this because that's not that's not a real thing. That didn't really happen. She was a lot of fun. Uh, how snarky she was. There was a funny comment that came up. I do not remember much about how he's supposed to look. I think most of the, the dudes in this family have dark hair. And I think <laughs> that blue eyes might be a thing in this family. But, you know, of course he's meant to be tall and he's meant to be brawny to some degree because he's lived a, a life he's of adventuring, athletic. traveling at sea, whatever. But this line made me chuckle. Uh, he bowed before Diana with surprising finesse, given the breadth of his chest. And the note that I wrote to that was, well, now they're just being judgy <laughs> because it's kind of funny to me, given the breadth of his chest. And I'm like, why would that make it hard for him to bow with finesse? Like, you can still be graceful and Close, large, maybe? even when you're a dude. Like, I don't, I don't know. know. I just found it funny. And I just wanted to comment. It's frustrating to me the same way that I get frustrated with the overemphasis on, on female body types being some ideal of perfection barbie-esque whatever it might be i find the same frustration with males uh, and i think it's just warranted to point out like we can have realistic people and we can have average people and they can still be beautiful and wonderful people um, we don't have to make a huge deal about uh, physical perfection agreed um although one thing i did like about it sorry a, a little bit on topic with looks is that it, this was the first time that a bookworm, like, so Willa being a, not a bookworm isn't the right word, well, they, blue stocking, right? Mm -hmm. She she enjoys knowledge. She's uh, loves to read the newspaper, but not fiction. She, she loves not a, She doesn't write to, like to read novels, but she likes to learn. She likes to know about the world around her. She's very uh, educated. She, she keeps wears herself spectacles. Informed when she has to read yeah. only. And the reason I point that out is because this is the first time with that type of character where she hasn't needed spectacles all the time because she's blind they reference that she was a toast of the season with her cousin very popular not very a wallflower popular, yeah. very beautiful and it's still and it's okay for her to be really smart and attractive yeah. and, and she, she doesn't had... have the trope she escaped the tropes of i'm plain or i'm tall mm -hmm. or i'm awkward or i'm a wallflower it was like no you can be smart you can be into things, and yeah. you can still be popular and beautiful. And, she, yeah, she didn't have to be shy. She had rejected okay. something like 14 proposals in her yeah. first season or whatever. And so that was fun, too, because she knew her own mind in a lot yeah. of ways. And she was... Well, I won't say she was herself, because an interesting part of her character is that she and Lavinia, her best friend... Basically, Willa is orphaned. Her parents died when she was nine. And then she has been raised by um, her friend Lavinia's family. She's lived with them since she was nine. So Willa and Lavinia had come up with this plan that they wanted to have the perfect season. They learned how to play the game. Yeah. They wanted to have the perfect season. They wanted to have the perfect suitors. They were just, they were going to like make their lives work for them. And they were going to find the perfect marriages and stuff. So they basically decided on what made a perfect lady. And they decided to be that interesting and charming and you know, proper and all those sorts of things. And so they kind of would subdue their true selves a little bit until they were together yeah. in a safe place together. But they would pr put out there a nice, you know, demure, friendly, charming facade. There's a moment where Willa, at least in her head, because it comes up because she had always wanted a cat. And Lavinia asked her, well, why don't you just ask my mom for a cat? <laughs> she would have probably gotten you a cat. And Willa's thinking to herself, because I was desperate, I just lost my parents and I was desperate for a mother and I quickly read Lady Grey and I realized what kind of daughter she would have wanted and I made myself that person. Um, and I think that quickly shows us the chameleon that Willa is. She's a, she reads people really well and she, she adapts herself to be what others might want her to be, which is why she was so successful in her season, because she became the debutante that she knew all the different men would want her to be. It's an interesting counter counterpoint to Alaric himself, though, because one of the interesting things in the book is that he is himself. He lives as himself, honestly, openly, authentically himself. And yet this play, and at the beginning of the book, we don't know who wrote this play. Mm -mm. Nobody does. It, it, you know, an anonymous author type of situation. It's portrayed a Lord Wilde who is nothing like Lord right. Alaric, right? 
And so it's fascinating to see that he's so frustrated and he's stuck because someone created a persona that is not his. And so he's struggling with that, where Willa is on the other end struggling with she did create this persona, but as she gets to know Alaric, some of her natural self is coming out and she's struggling with that, you know? Like, but wait, this isn't the perfect person I created. I'm not ready to be this other person yet. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. It's like, at first, you're thinking, oh, Willa's got it all figured out, and Alaric's kind of a mess. <laughs> right? A little bit, in the sense that he's been traveling so long, he doesn't even know what's what. But by the end, it's almost like, oh no, Alaric's got it figured out. Be your own true self. And that has to help Willa realize that she can be loved and adored, and she doesn't have to put on the facade anymore and pretend to be something she's not. Yeah, it's one of the great themes of their love story that basically he, as they talk about things, he's encouraging her to be herself and he's basically saying, I love you and I want you to be you. There's just one odd thing that I thought was a weird comment or a thought for a hero to have. He's talking about how she, the heroine's wearing a green dress and he says, he doesn't normally like green, or he doesn't like green, or something like that. Oh yeah, wasn't that random? Yeah, but then he's like, but on her, he liked green. I'm like, who doesn't like green? Right? It's an odd color so to have. So specific to not like. Like, if it had been orange or something, yeah. that would have been like, okay, or yeah. brown, or red. I don't know. I don't know, but green was an odd Especially because, like, you live on Nature. an estate near, like, peat moss bogs yeah. and stuff. Like, there's a hell of a lot of green around Did you. you. growing up where you grew up? Yeah, like, you grew up in England. There's a lot of green there. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I hate brown because I grew up in a desert and it's all brown. And so it's ugly to me. So maybe that's what it is. Maybe, maybe it's like so. there's too much green. And yet he talks about having an affinity for the land and things like that. <laughs> well, right. That's where it got odd. Yeah, that, it was odd. Although maybe it started when his brother died. So oh, there is a little bit of tragedy that drives I didn't this story. Think of that. I had not read this book until after I had read the prequel book which was called My Last Duchess. And in that book, the Duke and Duchess have kind of a yours, mine, and ours situation where they end up getting married when um, both are widowed and they have multiple children. And the oldest of the Duke's son is named Horatius. And I really liked him in the prequel, even though he was kind of a prig, stodgy. Yeah, he was just kind of too much into being the perfect duke or whatever because you know he was going to future be the future duke he was the heir he took it very responsibly so seriously but like the family talks about how they loved him anyway despite him being so rigid and stuff and so the tragedy is that shortly before alaric left on his adventures horatius was coming home drunk and there was a bet and he was trying to cross their bog which is like a big swampy um area with his horse. And so the bet was that he could lead his horse across the bog or something like that. And unfortunately, his horse got stuck. And in his drunken state, he tried to save the horse and he ended up drowning. He got swept away and they never found his body. And so um, I found that really hard to take getting used to this book, getting started, because his was the story I most wanted to read. And I assumed it would come up eventually. And so then to find out that he had died young and unexpectedly, um, was really hard for me and I was mad about it. But then I realized that it's kind of real life, especially back in the time period um, of this book. I want to say it's like 1778 or something like that. It's life and death was, I think, a lot closer for everybody. Things like birth and death were much more home events that usually happened at home. And so I I had to let myself kind of immerse more in the history of it and realize that, yeah, tragic, sad things do happen. And even though we want to escape into, you know, these romances and whatnot, at the same time, you sometimes need to let these people be human. And so I eventually came to terms with it, especially because Alaric did a lot of reflection and thinking about his brother and thinking about how he had stayed away for five years because, here's a quote, he says, It was easier to board another ship than to come home and imagine Horatius losing his life in the bog. And so, like, it just really struck me that in part of his wanderlust, if you will, and wandering around the earth, and he's curious, he wants to learn more things, but he also had faced a tragedy, and that was his coping. So I want to get back to Horatia's death because I have some questions about that. But I did wonder the difference. So originally that My Last Duchess was written actually after the four first books in the series had been completed. 
and released. So I read it after I had already been introduced to these characters. And so I had heard about Horatius, but in passing. He had been, you know, who they referenced. Sorry, uh, I had read the first, the second, third, and fourth book. I actually hadn't ever read the first book. This was my first time reading it. But yeah, he's mentioned in all the books. So it was. it's always been poignant to me that he was such a big part of the family, and he is remembered, and they still talk about him and mourn him even years later. And one of my favorite reminiscent stories that... Alaric thinks about is that his favorite Christmas and how he talks about his this big brother and they built him this igloo and he made he made rooms for each of his brother and, and tunnels and stuff and tunnels and, yeah. and I'm just like what an amazing guy like you really feel their loss because they do a good job describing him and I wondered when you mentioned it and you mentioned how I wanted I remember why I never wanted to read the rest of the series because they killed off Horatius I was like oh that's a good point if you start with the prequel you get a chance to really like him and want his story. But for those of us where we had already been reading the series and it came, it wasn't as impactful because he was already gone. He wasn't, yeah. we, we didn't have a chance to get to know him or like him because we only heard about him after he was gone. Yeah, he was already an absent character. Yeah, But I'm very confused about his death and I want to talk about this because okay. I'm like, could we get a surprise Horatius book because he's not really dead? Because they never found a body. <laughs> And so I'm very confused because was he by himself? How do they know? Maybe he's somewhere with amnesia <laughs> because it was not, maybe I skipped this part or didn't read it well enough, but I, I'm pretty sure he could never come back. And okay. here's why. A, I think he's a plot device to help move stories along, to have that sorrow and to okay. have that history. But the way they describe it is his horse was there and there's this almost like an unseen river running beneath the bog and it's okay. most closest to the surface in certain areas. Okay. And so what they believe happened is he got sucked into that and uh. then it goes, I don't know how bogs work. So this is purely from reading oh, this see, novel. I was imagining bogs were like quicksand. So you like slowly suffocate to death or something. Is that as I understand there's, there's both uh, from the way. And again, purely from how okay. they describe it in the book, there's those areas because they talk about don't thrash, right? Like yes. sit and wait yes. or whatever. But then, um, cause I was like, seriously, no one could go save him. He's slowly. Well, and they saved his horse. And so that's right. why they keep talking about him being drunk. So like in his, in a logical place, he would have known to go get help. And they could have rescued the horse later or whatever, right? Okay. But the way they talk about it is that this river thing kind of almost disappears underneath the earth somewhere. Okay. And so they don't even properly know where it goes or comes out. And so the implication is that it was almost like being lost in an underwater cave. So his body is theoretically there somewhere. And at this point, they kind of allude to the idea that's probably decomposed and what. Because uh, they talk about burying an empty coffin. Because how they long never had it been since five years. he died? Five years. Okay. A little bit unclear, but they talk about Alaric being present for the funeral. Oh, kind okay. of. I'm pretty sure he was present. And then, yeah, it, it, it was either right after Alaric left or, or right before Alaric left. Okay. And then he was gone for five years. Okay. All right, that explains I don't think it he'll then. Come I, I imagine a very slow sinking scenario, and I'm literally yeah. thinking, no one was there to watch the bet to make sure it he earned the money. Like, how could no one pull him out of this bog in time to save it? Like, I, I imagine a comical scene where it's like, help me, as he's like slowly. Yeah, it's kind of confusing. But if it's a fast thing, that makes more sense. If he would have just like disappeared, and so there's a dramatic scene at the end where Willa is in danger, and she has been lost on the bog. She's actually forced out there by the, the villain of the piece. We'll get there eventually. But essentially, when Willa is out there lost on the bog, she's stuck in a very tenuous position where she's essentially floating by the grace of a cork-like bustle she wears on her bottom, right? To, like, give her more of a butt. And the danger, as Alaric describes it in the moment, is that they have to be so careful because if she dips into the water enough she'll just disappear the current will, the current will suck her under and uh, she'll be gone okay and so especially with the weight of her skirts if you imagine those types, yeah. types of things and so that's why i'm imagining that probably it happened very it quickly for horatius, for horatius that he hit okay. a deep and the pools apparently you can't see them because weeds will like float over the top so it all kind of looks similar yeah i looked up what peat moss looks like and it's very dense covering it looks like so it probably would look like it's just growing on 
ground, but then you yeah. step on it and there's no, it's water. And yeah. No... And then like the butler at one point tells Willa about the bog and he talks about the darker green are more likely to be more wet and the lighter green are more likely to be sturdy. And so there's all these mechanics of, of the <laughs> ecosystem that I don't quite understand. Okay. All right. So I, I shouldn't expect a surprise Horatius book. Right. right. But maybe if Eloisa James is listening, <laughs> then she'll be like, maybe, maybe he washed up on a shore. Amnesia for and he's 10 had years. Amnesia, right. I thought there was a lot of fun, witty banter between the characters all across the board. So like Willa with Lavinia, Alaric and North, some of their banter was fun. I love Lady Nose and like the aunt. Uh, yeah, it's, and her how she floated around between it's the It's one groups. of the great setups of the book, I think, is that it's a dynamic family environment. So the Duke and Duchess, by this point in the book, um, so Alaric's parents, they have, let me do some quick mental math. At the end of the prequel, they had nine children, plus she was pregnant with what would be their tenth. So that yeah. includes Horatius. At the point of this book, they have now had two more children. So that would be 12 children. But Horatius has passed away. So there would be 11 <coughs> surviving children out of out of their whole group of kids. So it's a large family. We don't get to meet everybody in the family, but we get to meet a good number. And for this, this main group, we get to see a lot of Willa and Lavinia. We get to yeah. see Roland, who is North. His nickname is North. Um, the older brother, Alaric. And then there's Parth. He's like oh, an yeah, adopted, adopted son. Yeah. yeah, I forgot about him. He's fun, so, too. Lots yeah. of back and forth. I like that even though we don't get to meet every family member, they're referenced. Yes. And so that's fun to see. I always like it when there's big families and they're a loving family. They like It lends itself to the hustle bustle. Like Leonidas yeah. is one of the other younger brothers. And at some point he comes home from Eton or something like that. And so yeah. they're just fun little in and out type and of And I things. love how they poke at each other. There's a scene in the nursery where his sister, I won't say her warrior name because I don't know how to pronounce it, but Betsy is drawing a print. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so she's perpetuating the problem that he's trying to stop. And that is such a younger sibling poke at an older sibling of like, I'm going to take advantage of this. Leonidas and his younger brothers are sticking the photos up along the wall. And the description of the six-year-old's print where it's a stick figure <laughs> right so endearing yeah like parth there's a scene where they go into town and they encounter like a, a tinker or whatever they call the man that has the wagon with all the the random goods and stuff and it's cute because parth buys all of the prints and at first i'm like oh it's like out of love for his brother right so that they're off the market because he knows his brother hates him but instead he just gives them to the nursery yeah so all the younger brothers and sisters get to cut them up into pieces to make confetti or pass plaster them on the walls or whatever they want to do with them them all over the castle yeah it's It's hilarious having been a younger sibling it's exactly what you would do to to poke fun at your older sibling you know it makes them cringe you know it makes them miserable but you gotta do it because you know he's nothing special he's just your dorky older brother so yeah the side characters were great in this and it gets you excited about reading the other books in the series because you you can tell where some of the romances are going and you're like "Ooh, i like those characters i want to read about their stories and it kind of gets you excited for the younger siblings because I know Betsy yeah. has a book in this series. And so it's. Although fun. I did chuckle, though, because, like I said, 11 living siblings. I'm like, is this going to be an 11 right. book series? Probably not. I can't imagine. I would think she'd have to start blending a bit. Yeah. And overlapping stories and having joint stories or something. Yeah. Because even I'm just thinking of some of her other series. The longest one was at six books. And then she did, like, an extension of that series but started technically a new series with like kids of those people so i just imagine someday her listening to this random podcast and being like challenge accepted exactly (laughs) each one of them is getting a book okay slight frustrating thing that didn't match prequel to book though i do have to call this out at the end of the prequel in the epilogue it talks about the duchess expecting their first child together and they say if it's a boy we'll name it eric and if it's a girl we'll name it artemisia right yeah and then in this book it says that they had three children together spartacus eric and artemisia or something and i was like wtf because the order's wrong you know what she, she did snacks in it. the prequel? She forgot she had art cuz remember this book was written before the oh. prequel. She forgot she had are you sure Spartacus they did reference that Spartacus was theirs Spartacus is theirs definitely in this book okay but in the prequel their first child born together they don't 
say what it is because the baby hasn't been born. And there they wasn't talk a about Spartacus the in the nursery already Mm-mm. reference. Mm-mm. It's their first one together. So I think that's probably maybe when she wrote the prequel, she had forgotten that she had already named Spartacus Eric. Right. Like she remembered the Eric, but she must have forgotten that she had already given them a child Spartacus because yeah. they do end up having the Arta, the girl, right? Yeah, but I thought they named their newest baby born in this book Artemisia. Me too. But they had, I swear they talked about the beginning having three children together in this Already? book. Yeah, I'm uh, going to go look it up. Okay, so I'll mention a couple things while you're looking that up. I love the juxtaposition of Alaric not wanting the hero worship and people so obsessed with him. And then he kind of ends up becoming obsessed with Willa because she is not a fanatic of his. She hasn't read any of his books. She is especially doesn't want to be around him because of the whole play thing. Um, at first she thinks he's a player, like he likes all the attention until she gets to know him. And so I just love that how he becomes Willa's number one fan or fanatic about her hero worship when it's something he's trying to avoid and he doesn't want the women <laughs> to worship him. The strangest thing though, because... So there was a minor conflict in this book where Willa keeps accusing him of making up his stories. And he's like, no, everything I wrote is 100% true. And we know she likes nonfiction. So why doesn't she ever read his books? Like, even in the epilogue, whatever, they never talk about her actually reading his stories. Because I think she would like them. That's what I would think, too. And I thought that was going to be the thing, that she'd at least borrow one and start reading it and have some meaningful, like, understanding him better or something. I don't know. I found it it strange. I did, too. I also thought it was interesting. There is a point where Alaric gets pretty obsessed with Willa in the sense that Willa is saying, I'm not interested. I don't want to marry you. And I had this thought. So it, we find out that Alaric has an obsessed, someone who's obsessed with him named Prudence, who was the one that wrote this play about him because she was the missionary in Africa, the missionary's daughter in Africa. That he had met when she was like 14. 14. And, and he would have minimum it. be 20 or more. Yeah. Right? She had it in her head that they were in love. That's why she wrote the story. Because in the story, he's not able to save his love, who is the missionary's daughter, who ends up getting eaten by cannibals or something ridiculous. And so Prudence is obsessed with him. Like, serious stalker vibe. We'll get into that in more detail. But I found it odd that that they point out how crazy Prudence is, right? But Alaric kind of pursues Willa with the same intensity and obsession, convinced that they're meant to be together. And I get that it's a romance. And so, yes, in that sense, we know they're meant to be together. They're going to end up together. And so that makes the obsession okay. But if you look at it purely, you know, outside looking in, you're almost like, Alaric, you're just as bad as Prudence in the sense that you are forcing this relationship on Willa and using everything in your power to seduce her or convince her that she's meant to be with you instead of respecting that she doesn't want that fame that comes with you and she doesn't want you in her life. So I get it in the sense of, yes, they are the true love characters in this book and they're meant to be together, but it is a little bit obsessive on his part. He's obsessed with her. Yeah, there's like an odd thread in this that it's that it for me was established in the prequel, but that the the wild men when they fall in love, they tend to fall in love at first sight. Hard. They fall fast, they fall hard. It's like destiny or whatever, right? <laughs> and so I can kind of see that on on his end, but like but what you're pointing out is kind of funny because why doesn't he take a little bit of a step back or give her some space because he knows or he's saying, yeah, no, I don't want this. I'm not like this. I only write true stories, blah, blah, blah. And yet he doesn't seem to want to really acknowledge the fact that, well, like it or not, buddy. She doesn't want you. That and you are freaking mega famous, right? Yeah. And and that's not your fault, but it's also not her fault. She doesn't have to love you just because he like recognizes it and that she doesn't deserve to have that life with them, but he doesn't care because he's so in love with her. He just and she pursuing. must realize yeah. that they're meant to be together. Uh, and it just had a stalker vibe to yeah. me. And I'm like, ah, yeah. it's a fine line. And I yeah. feel like in Prudence, you're making her crazy and cuckoo for feeling this way, but you're kind of pursuing her with yeah. the same assess- obsession. So, so yeah, I didn't care for that part of the plot. Also, I abhor masturbation scenes oh my gosh 
Sorry, that was loud for podcast listeners. Oh my gosh. Me Hate too. It. What the actual, what did not need it at all. Hate him, hate him, hate him. I, I, it's weird it's enough an- for me with sex scenes like, okay, it's their intimate scene, but we've been working with these people. There's yeah. something so almost like more private and bizarre to yeah. be in their head when they're. It's gross and pervy when it's masturbating. In my yeah. opinion, I do not find that. Well, loving and affectionate that you're jerking off thinking yeah. about this person you supposedly love who isn't at this point as into Consenting. you she's just not that yeah. into you yeah it feels it peeping tom so to me and he, and he wasn't doing it watching her he was just imagining her but it just pe- it oh it gives me a pervert vibe and i yeah. hate it so a romance authors if you are listening to this please don't put masturbation scenes into books i don't find it sexy or attractive right all. Well, and there's a later scene where Willa is thinking about him, where she is starting to have the feelings for him and the lust and all of that, yeah? Yeah, and I was afraid it was going to go. Right? She's thinking about it, and she's feeling the tingle, if you will, down in her naughty bits, but she she falls asleep. And so she ends up having an erotic dream, right, that turns into more because, for stupid reasons, he snuck into her room and climbed into bed with her. But yeah, I had the exact same thought where it was just like, this gross. is so not like what I want to look about. And then I had the no. gross thought of like, ew, because he was like in the library. He, he was, wasn't even in his study. bedroom. Yeah. It was so gross. So if you're going to put those scenes in there, make it at least a private place. Yeah, right? I was so convinced she was going to walk in on him or someone was. Anyway, not a fan of Thoroughly him. uncomfortable. Thumbs down in the plot for that. Okay, so here's a quote that I want to read to you. It says... And this is, of course, Alaric thinking. For some reason, Willa Finch inspired intense interest, a fierce impulse to know everything about her, what she thought, and why she thought it. Willa looked as if she kept her thoughts to herself, and he wanted them, all of them. He wanted to learn her private language. And the note I put on that was, this is the type of stuff the hero should be thinking, right? He wants to get to know her, her thoughts, to understand her. And then I put, but two pages later, he's thinking about her boobs. Yeah! So there's that. So we're like, maybe that's the author saying men are dogs. And it all comes back to Such the a beautiful body. sentiment. And it then, man, the boobs. So, okay. Overall, I found the two main characters a little bit flat in this book. And I think that goes to that. They were very two-dimensional to me. They were, I'm going to be a popular... People are obsessed with me, but I'm, I'm not that type of guy. You know, I just want to be, you know... I am who I am. Stop obsessing about me. And she was, I'm, I don't, I'm, I'm smart. I don't like men who, who are playboys. I don't know. They, they just, there was no progression in the characters. Yeah. Because for Willa, for example, like we talked about a little bit. Yeah. I'm a free thinker. I like to learn, blah, blah, blah. And yet she wouldn't read one of his damn books. So it was like potential that never blossomed. Yeah. You're just like, okay. They had no depth. Yeah. They weren't bad characters. I just really honestly did not care that much about them. I was more obsessed with the side romances I saw building. Like, I was obsessed with Roland, Lord Roland, or North, and Diana, and their story. And I'm like, I want to know what's going on. I want to know why he seems so wonderful. His, how he described his feelings for Diana, and how he was trying to be who he thought she wanted... Um, because she seemed to be really in fashion, so he changed his whole persona. That, to me, was more interesting and moving. I wanted to follow that story than yeah. the actual main characters. Like, what happened there? Because Alaric comes home and is like, why is my brother dressed like a dandy or whatever? Like, he what is happening? Like a, a, a chicken because yeah. of the wig and stuff. So Chicken masquerading as a peacock yes. type of thing. It was yeah. so funny. But yeah, I totally agree with you that they, they seemed stuck a little bit in, in their own, like... Their own def- character definition somehow. Yeah. And they never seem to want to be humans that could grow. There was a funny something that I wanted to comment on. So Willa talks at one point about how she had let people kiss her before. And so she had kissed on two other occasions or had kissed two other gentlemen, right? Yeah. And so uh, this is her sharing a kiss with Alaric. And I believe it is one of their first kisses. But it says, uh, Willa welcomed him, opening her lips. His tongue took her mouth, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And I'm like, she's been k- 
kiss twice. And, like, the tongue coming in and she's not like, wah, whoa, right? Like, usually they describe their kissing as rather chaste and stuff. They're sheltered, whatever. And so it kind of... not in the Georgian Right? It made me chuckle. And then related to that, a later kiss, it says, quote, he plundered her mouth with his tongue. And that phrase makes me laugh out loud every damn time. Because I'm like, come on. Stop saying it. I've read it in so many authors, so many romances, plundering her mouth. It makes it sound like they're attacking. Like, to me, that doesn't seem like a give and take. That seems like, you're suffocating me as you stab me with your tongue. Sometimes the visual of what they're trying to describe in these books really makes me chuckle because I start thinking, like, how? Like, how does that even happen? Anyway, I find it funny. I think, how? And I'm thinking, wait, did... If you're an author and you're describing something, are you just visualizing it? Or do you ever imagine acting it out? And then right. saying, does it work the way I described right. it? Does that feel good or Wondering natural? Like a pirate. I just keep imagining yeah. some form of like, er, 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 in and out or something. I don't know. It cracks me up. Yeah. It's there was... like, sometimes you need to check your synonyms and your adjectives and make sure it is the right feeling you're going for. Because... I don't know if I'd want my mouth to be plundered. Right? I don't know if I'd enjoy that. I had some trouble with this book sometimes, understanding exactly how Alaric felt, feels about her. Because of that whole wild thing where they apparently fall in love, first sight, yeah. all-consuming. Okay, he, he loves her, right? But then there's a scene where... But he doesn't really reference love. He doesn't. There's a scene where she asks him to his face, Are you in love with me, Alaric? Because in my experience, which, as you note, has been pleasingly full, such poems declare love. They're talking about some sort of love poem, obviously, right? And he doesn't say, Of course I love you, or anything like that. Do you make fun of all your suitors this way? I do not, she grinned, or whatever, right? And I'm just kind of like, Wait, wait, I thought... I thought he did love her, but like... No, he's obsessed with her. Right, and like, when does love actually come into it? I can't remember the very end. I I think eventually they probably do actually say the L word, right? Yeah, But it struck me as odd, especially because North, for example, I feel like he talks about being in love with Diana or whatever. It just felt strange. It felt like this bizarre obsession. It was obsession and lust, and it does end up becoming love, but... I guess at least he's honest that he's not putting love label on it up front. But he wants to marry her, but he's not saying it's because of love. It it was weird. So earlier in the book, he had a moment where the phrase was, spend his life with? He's pondering spending his life with her. Spend his life with? The phrase dropped into his head with no warning. And I'm like, but... You thought you were obsessed with her. <laughs> like, what is going on? How do you Make feel? Like, what are your mind. feelings? Yeah. Very confusing. Yeah. Uh, that's what I said. Again, it, to me, it goes back to them, the characters being kind of two-dimensional, kind of flat. Not a lot of depth in their feeling. It just all seems to be about the physical attraction and the lust, and they think the other is interesting, and they think the other person is extraordinary. But, again, how long have they, what, known each other two weeks? At this point as well. And so it's harder to to buy into sometimes when they're so quickly. You're the one for me. Only for me. I don't want anyone else. It feels very obsessive. And yeah. how is that different from Prudence? Being obsessed with him. I guess because it's reciprocal. So that makes it non-obsession because she reciprocates his feelings. I don't know. Well, and they keep bonding over like shared tragedy sort of. So his... His loss of his older brother, her loss of her parents, their sadness and stuff. They have this interesting conversation. After she gets stuck in the bog and he has to rescue her, they they make it to the safety of, like, the Pete Cutter's hut. And they're, of course they make love because, come on, it's a romance. <laughs> but they're talking. And they're talking about the loss and her being orphaned. And he says, do you ever cry? And she says, extremely rarely. Why not? When my parents died, I realized that if I were to begin crying, I might never stop. So I decided not to begin. And my comment on this one was, well, that doesn't seem very healthy. No. Like, I don't think either of you know how to process emotions properly or, like, talk about emotions or, like, work through grief. I don't know. It just struck me as maybe they're just kind of emotionally stunted a little bit. Maybe so. It's weird. Uh, Yeah, it was weird. 
I, 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 like I said, I wasn't uh, really invested in their relationship. I kept reading because I was interested in the story and wanted to see how it ended. But I honestly was over both of them probably about halfway through the book. Yeah. I would have rather been reading about North and Diana or Parth and Lavinia at that point. Um, there, I kept reading for those little blurps of them as like a side story reference. Um, I will say one thing that I thought was refreshing about this plot is it wasn't a ruined moment, but it was hilarious to me how the heroine had to step in and save the hero with a fake betrothal. Yes, that was fun. <laughs> that was uh, funny because be, to save him from his obsessed Prudence, who followed him from Africa because she's so obsessed with him, um, she like left her home three years ago, traveled by herself to England, wrote this crazy play, is yeah. making bank on it, but at the same time, like, she's crazy, tracks him down, yeah. shows up unexpected, like, she Convinced is legit ordained by God to be together. Yeah. She's a yeah. Puritan. Um, and so it was funny that to save himself, he says he's engaged to Willa, and, and Willa goes along with it uh, to protect him. So I thought that was funny. You know what was ent- else interesting... We talked about how Willa is kind of like has a facade. And so at some point, Alaric decides that that that's not really her. And yeah. so he stops calling her Willa and he wants to call her a private name that really represents her. So he decides that he'll call her Evie, which is a nickname from her middle name. But it, it again, struck me as kind of funny, as kind of being she like... She two personalities. Yeah. All of a sudden, then halfway through the book, I now want she's... Willa. I want your split personality, yeah. Evie. I don't want Willa. I want Evie. I want Evie to love me because that's the real you and whatever. Yeah. And it was just bizarre. It, it was, was just a little bit bizarre. Willa was probably a combination of them both. But she bought into it. So I'm like, okay, sure. If the main character wants to go along with this. Um, I also really enjoyed the world. Like you were saying, Eloisa James created this world. And in this world, the wilds reminded me of like the Kennedys. Because North references that it's not just... It's not just Alaric's popularity that has made them live under microscopes, that they've always been. And this came up in the prequel as well, um, because it's why his duchess was hesitant to marry him, is they live under microscopes. They are very, you know, he's related to royal, to the king, um, a co- distant cousin or something like that. And so they, they are followed and people do prints of them long before Alaric got popular this family, the society, the ton has been obsessed with them. And I thought that was fascinating to have a series follow kind of like our American royalty, who I thought of was the Kennedys, that family. Um, but similarly, everyone's obsessed with their kids will be in prints. Their wedding will be in prints. Yeah. Um, because people just want to know what's going on in their lives. And it was it was fascinating to see that portrayed and lived out in a Georgian era because it's very relatable to what we the times we live in now yeah it was interesting because in the prequel the the duke had been married and then widowed and then married again and actually divorced because that wife had left him and then the third duchess was his last duchess hence the title and it was interesting because one of her hesitancies as you said was because of that notoriety so they've been notorious since since Alaric would have been I think he was like 12 or something in the prequel something like that do you know what i mean well even before yeah probably even since he was married to a second duchess probably yeah so most of his life there'd been some form of notoriety but you get the impression that they tried to keep the kids on the estate and kind of in their own little world another interesting historical thing that occurred to me is when willa is stuck in the bog let me just take a minute and explain why willa ever got stuck in the bog. Oh, I have so many thoughts on this. Okay, let me tell you my historical facts first. Yes. And then I'll tell you why we got stuck in the Or Amy will be bog. going off on a tangent. There is a quote where she is essentially suspended in some water and she's floating based with with that cork bustle, right? Yeah. And as he's as Alaric's trying to reach out and grab her hand, help save her, whatever, he says, "Do you know how to swim, Evie?" Which is remember his pet name for her. Oh, yes. Lavinia and I have swum in the sea at Brighton. I call some bullshit on this. Okay, maybe. But when I looked it up one time out of curiosity, 
it was talking about how swimming was actually incredibly rare. Like very few people, even sailors, very few actually knew how to swim. Right. That it didn't become minorly popular towards until towards the Regency era. Mm-hmm. And it didn't become commonplace until people could actually safely wear swimwear. Because right. the amount of clothing they would Can you wear. imagine? You would have sunk. They would drown. Right. Yeah. And so I find this to be like. Maybe, but especially Lavinia and Willa being able to swim. Yeah. I could buy Alaric maybe, especially because of the bog. Maybe they yeah. would have tried to teach their kids somehow. But I just find it random that they would be able to right. swim. We swam at Brighton. No, swimming at the time was wearing like a cropped skirt and wading in the water, essentially. Right. These special little private bathing booths. No one was doing the breaststroke or uh-huh. learning how to, to float and do that sort of stuff. So yeah. I found that to be confusing. But so that was definitely questionable. Definitely history. questionable history there. All right. Please let's get into oh. how she's convinced to go to the bog. The bog. So in their infinite wisdom, uh, Prudence is the crazy missionary's daughter, shows up at the house, uh, demands that they are supposed to be loved forever, and then they're supposed to... That's where the fake engagement betrothal comes in. The plan is like two days but then Alaric wants Willa to have to pretend longer, so they, they keep letting Prudence stay longer, and it's kind of unclear right. how long. So Psychopath gets to stay at my family home. As a guest. As a guest. Not restrained to her room. Well, because even and though everyone's she's okay crazy, with this. she's probably nice crazy. Everyone's okay crazy. with this. <laughs> she's cray-cray. Yeah, she's crazy. You can tell from talking to her. It's not even, like, subtle. Like, we hear her internal thoughts and think she's crazy. She's straight up talking crazy. Yeah. Lady No is basically like, this bitch crazy. Right. And no one listens Asylum. to her. Asylum. Asylum. So, they basically, over time, the idea is, well, Prudence has to acknowledge the fact that she has no Somehow, relationship. they're expecting a crazy person to think logically. <laughs> Flaw one in this whole theory. So, to give Prudence credit, over time, she does realize that the betrothal is allegedly real, and she doesn't have as much hope as she thought with Alaric, sort of. What happens is, she decides that that Willa is a harlot, because she saw them kissing or something, right? No, she saw him leaving his room after they had had sexual relations (laughs) oh that's right she was lurking and saw them leaving a bedroom at night or whatever so she in her infinite wisdom decides that that means willa must die so she has because reminder she crazy (laughs) so her brilliant plan is that she's going to kill willa and so she lures no 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 no. because it's very she's she's very clear in the distinction that she can't kill because that's murder because she's a puritan oh right if god finds her pure she will survive the bog if god finds her to be a sinner she will fall and and die so she she basically willa's out walking her skunk sweet pea in the rose garden and prudence manages to lure her out into the bog and at some point, it's she no. has a gun. I don't I remember which No, okay. Happens. So okay. let Amy take over in this right. scene. Because this, this isn't just Regency romances. This is <laughs> any fictional version of you have two options. The villain is holding you with another weapon. And your choices are they kill you right then. Or they take you somewhere else to kill you. Because at this point, Willa doesn't know about I'm going to let God decide if you live or die in the bog. I'm thinking you let her take you to that bog, you're dead. So let's see. I've got a pistol or I've got slow death in bog. Now at the time, I didn't know it was water bog and I didn't know there was a chance she could escape. So that's on me. But I'm thinking I would rather take my chance with the pistol than going farther away from the house and there is less likely a chance that someone can save me. No, I'm going to be in Willa's defense here, okay? Mm. Because Prudence told Willa to her face that she had to learn to fire a pistol early and she can shoot an eyeball off a crocodile or some such Okay. And she never misses or something. But it's a pistol in 1778. <laughs> One this shot. This isn't a semi-automatic. And no, the the funny thing is, is, she goes, I've got other balls in my powder here in my pocket. I don't care the, the amount of time it would take you to actually reload that gun. I'd be zigging and zagging back to that house. Like, I just don't 
I don't buy it any time where the villain is like, I'm going to shoot you unless you come with me and then I'm going to kill you anyways. I'd be like, then put the bullet in my head so it's a quick, easy death. Don't leave me to like, I, at the time I imagined she was slowly going to suffocate in a bog. <laughs> and so that's why I thought the bullet was another option. But she had plenty. I mean, like you said, throw the skunk at her. Okay. So I'll buy that she's like, okay, I'll go with you. So proceed. But then I want to interrupt again when they're actually in the bog. Okay. Section. So they go through that door in the Rose Garden. They're out there on the bog. There's like a boardwalk through part of the bog, at least. They're on this boardwalk. Somewhat arbitrarily, Prudence picks a spot and is like, yeah, this is far enough. Go in the bog. As Amy described, she's like, you'll die if you are wicked and harlot, which you will, because I know. Because <laughs> you're a slut. Right? Or you'll live if God sees you to be pleasing or whatever. So Willa decides to take her chances in the bog because she had learned which which were drier patches or whatever. So she's going to work sure. her way there because she sees in the distance a peat cutter's hut. She's like, I just got to get there. Okay, can I insert here, though? Because here's the crazy stuff going through Willa's head. I kid you not. She's like, what do I do? Do I knock uh, this crazy prudence person in the bog? No, I couldn't do that. I couldn't kill someone who wants to kill me. That would be cruel. Bullshit. (laughs) Knock that bitch into the bog. It's it's literally a kill or be killed situation. I think... That justifies taking some action. Prudence isn't going to have mercy on you. Prudence isn't going to be like, oh, I feel bad. Never mind. I'm not going to kill you. Yeah, because Prudence didn't say, if you're righteous, my bullet won't hit you. No. She's like, she literally said, I can't kill you because that would be murder and I'm a Puritan. So I'm going to leave it to the bog. I'd be like, well, I'm going to test God too because you are basically sending me to my death let's see if he saves you are you righteous i'm gonna push your ass into that bog second thing okay i'll buy that you don't want to kill someone prudence fires her shot at her feet she no longer has a loaded weapon why are you did i miss that you did she fires it and then prudence goes (laughs) sorry prudence goes but i'm reloading don't you move Push her away. Run to the gate. They, I mean, they had maybe gone a little distance, but by the time she has reloaded, you think she could really have shot you? This is a 1778 ball pistol. This right. is not a semi-automatic. There's no scope. Oh, and it's tiny. It's like the size of her hand. At that point, I, I lost interest. I no <laughs> longer cared what happened to this woman because she could have knocked the gun into the bog. She even says, maybe I'll knock the gun off. And I don't even know why she didn't do that. I would rather take the risk that you would shoot me while I'm knocking the gun out of your hand than I am literally going to take my chances with the bog. That is so dumb and so stupid. And I can't deal with stupid heroines. Like, uh, and then she used her shot. She had a chance to run, and instead she runs towards the bog. She runs further into the bog what's so when the crazy funny person fired the shot. Is that what's so funny? Is that in most of these historical romances and stuff, they always lean on the fact that there's only one shot in that pistol, and once it's shot, they would never have enough time to reload before they're tackled or whatever. Exactly. She literally's like, "Don't move! I'm reloading right now! <laughs> Don't you get out of my sight!" It just, you lost me. I think there's me. a little bit of, potentially even a little bit of hubris in Willa in that pride of thinking she's just going to run out to this peat hut or whatever. So basically, once Willa takes off into the bog, Prudence goes back to the house, allegedly. Who knows? We don't know. And then Alaric finds out that she's missing. It's long and complicated. Read the book if you're interested. Right. <laughs> but seriously, I was so over it at this point. It was so lame. I didn't care. He eventually comes out and lights fading, blah, blah, blah. He's got to go save Willa. We talk about how he saved her. They have their sexy times in the thing. That, and then they light a fire in the hut, like in the fireplace. And so that alerts the family where they are. They get rescued. They They have to get back to the house. Well... Willa got real sleepy after their sexy time in the hut. And so there's a really stupid bit of the story, too, where although she's apparently, they had gotten dressed post-coital, right? She doesn't want to wake up because she's so exhausted from her ordeal. And so Alaric carries her for an hour all the way back to the house with these this complicated system they describe of, like, laying down planks of wood, having to walk on them across the bog, like... 
It is just ridiculous. I called it a jumping the shark moment of like, seriously? It doesn't seem safe. So, he could have dropped her at any moment into the bog. They have decided now, talking with his dad, that like, forget it. We just want to get, you know, married or whatever. Um, they finally have professed their love in the hut or whatever. Okay. Well, then they, they're going to go upstairs and take baths. And essentially, Alaric is like, you know I'm coming to your room tonight, honey, right? And Willa's like, Alaric, okay, but after our tub time. Um, <laughs> that's how I hear her voice in my head. So the dumbest thing, though, they're outside Willa's bedroom. They're sharing some sort of a kiss. And guess who comes down the hall? Prudence. It's Prudence. And guess what? She managed to escape her room because after the first kidnappy whatever Alaric, Alaric had ordered a footman to watch her room and not let her out yeah. so not only did she escape from that she had another gun <laughs> because Alaric tried to warn his dad and was like hey she's got a gun and the duke was like I know we got that off of her no no this girl's got a second gun <laughs> hey crazy girl came prepared she, she is did. the only one I respect in exactly. this book she had a plan she followed it through. She had backup like, plans. Backup plan B. They took my first gun. Here's my spare gun. <laughs> she basically deserved to win at this point. But it was overkill. Yeah. Oh my goodness. We'd it. already had the climax. We'd already had the danger. So she's in the Not hallway. Needed. She's going to shoot Willow because she just cannot let this go. And of course she fires. Alaric jumps in front of it. Gets hit in the shoulder and collapses on Willa. And he says, I'm so sorry because... He's bleeding. He's going to die. Mm. And my great, the greatest moment for Lady No to me is she comes up and goes, oh, good, there's an exit wound. She flips him over and she starts barking orders to call people to bring the medical supplies to save his life. Because, yes. of course, he's going to live. Yeah. It's a romance novel and he's not Horatius. So. Exactly. She's like, I got this. You're fine. It's a, it's a flesh wound. <laughs> Rub flesh some dirt wound. in it. You'll be fine. <laughs> and then the book, I just got to say, at the end of the book, it just got a little bit odd it was almost like oh yeah. let me just type all these loose ends I, I gotta finish so then all of a sudden they decide to they just need to get married with a special license lucky roland's fiance had scarpered off right they had a special license for that yay we can use it for alaric and willa instead it's a little insensitive right and willa's best friend slash almost a sister lavinia her and her mom had gone on a trip for three to five days to manchester and so they've already been gone at least a day and a half, two days by the time Alaric's like strong enough to, to get up out of bed to get married or whatever, yeah. right? They decide to go ahead and get married before Lavinia gets back. And I'm like, that's kind of a jerk move. Like, yeah. she's your best friend, sister. You couldn't have just not gotten married for five more days or so. Yeah, it's not like you have to wait to have sex. You've already had sex. Dude, exactly. Two and everybody is... knows it. And two days is not going to make a difference even right. if she's pregnant. Exactly. Babies come two days early. That's not a big deal. It was so. just this bizarre, let me throw more drama. Let me rush, rush, rush. Oh, shoot. I've reached my page yeah. quota. I got to wrap this up. It was insane at the end. And so I kind of feel like it lost the thread. And it was just a snowball effect at the yeah. end. Yeah. I was definitely skimming. I was just yeah. ready for it to be over. Kind of fun, though. The epilogue jumped forward like 11 years. And so we did get to see a glimpse of their married family I and some kids. That. And that was kind of fun. Don't do epilogues authors that are only two three months Ugh, in advance not, even worth, not it. worth it i need at least at least minimum two three years two three months to me just shines a light on the fact that these people barely knew each other exactly. when they got married if you jump us a decade ahead five years whatever oh okay yeah they have developed this great relationship they have learned to know each other yeah snarky sisters say rereadability what's your rating on this one I enjoyed the book on the whole for the universe it created. If I were to reread this one specifically, I think it would just be for those early bits of the other relationships I want to yeah. read about. It would be about North and Diana. It would be about Parth and Lavinia. Like, um, So that was fun. I don't think I would reread it for these characters. Yeah. So uh, atmosphere, probably a four of five. But technically this book, my likelihood of rereading it is more like two out of five. Yeah, I agree. Series-wise... I would reread this series. So I would give it, you know, four out of five for that. This book particular, one. Well, if I were desperate. Right? The My Last Duchess, the prequel, that was my second time reading through that. And I enjoyed it as much the second time. Although I was like, so many sex scenes. And so I did get very bored with that yeah. by the end of the book. Uh, which is funny because they don't even end up having sex till like 
later. I mean, I guess they start, but then when she's like, I don't want to marry you. I just want this to be a one night stand. He ends up. Yeah, he says no. Anyway, we're not reviewing that book. Let's talk about. But I was just going to comment. I did get a little bit fatigued with this book with some of that, too. When there's too many oh, yeah. sex scenes, like when they had their 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 love making, declare a love in the hut. I was like, I don't I care. I've already read it. you do this six times. Yeah. I'm over it. So I agree. It gets too much for me. Um, so I usually skim those scenes. So we we know. Uh, I'm not going to ask you about. Would you read other books by this author? Because we are going to uh, follow this. Series. I don't have a choice. You don't. Just kidding. I'm I am looking forward. Out. Is the next one Roland? Roland. Or? Yeah, and I'm looking Diana. forward to I'm that. Very excited for that one. So that will be our next book. Um, if you want to join us, it's called Too Wild to Wed, which is book two in the Wilds of Lindo Castle series. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, we can be reached via our email, which is snarkysisterspodcast at gmail.com.